after delays, cancellations, and rescheduling, an unusual and unprecedented 2020 Big Ten season kicks off tonight when number 14 Wisconsin hosts Illinois at Camp Randall Stadium. Welcome into the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. I am your host, Benjamin Wargle, the Wisconsin football and men's basketball beat writer for Rivals.com. The first game of the Big Ten season begins a nine-game conference-only schedule that was announced by the Big Ten on September 16th following the initial postponement of the league season on August 11th due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. And per usual, the Badgers are the favorites to win the Big Ten West, a division it has won four times in the past six years of existence. However, the Badgers entered the 2020 season needing to replace several key offensive positions and are facing an Illinois defense that forced 28 turnovers in 13 games last season. Although favored by nearly 20 points tonight, this appears to have the makings of a challenging contest for the Badgers in their season opener. My guest this week is my fellow Badger Blitz writer, Jake Kolkorowski, who will spend the majority of this podcast with me breaking everything down from what we know about this Badgers roster. Some of our big questions that we have, considering we didn't see fall camp, and giving a preview of tonight's opponent, the Fighting Illini. How odd is starting the season tonight? Well, for you history buffs, August 23rd marks the latest start to a football season for Wisconsin since the Badgers opened the 1918 season by hosting Camp Grant on October 26th. That season was delayed by the last pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, and came during the final days of World War I. Wisconsin hasn't opened a season with a Big Ten opponent since taking on Michigan to begin the 1982 season. The last season opener versus a Big Ten team at Camp Randall was in 1981. That turned out okay for Wisconsin. They won 21-14 over the top-ranked Wolverines. Wisconsin hasn't opened a season by taking on Illinois since 1907 when they lost 14-5. So needless to say, tonight will be historic in a lot of ways. Our podcast this week is brought to you by MyBookie. Between the NFL, college football, and the MLB playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch right now. And with thousands of betting lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with MyBookie. If you're the type of guy or gal who likes to back the big favorites, considering putting a couple bucks in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, But more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs, except Illinois. Forget about them tonight. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, except the New York Jets. And you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets. It's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your pocket. Sign up at MyBookie and when you do, use our promo promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to $1,000. That's promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit exclusively at MyBookie. Our guest this week was recently eliminated from the Mass Singer, which is why he's back with BadgerBlitz.com after just a short leave of absence. Jake Kokorowski. Coco rejoins Badger Blitz and joins the podcast. And Jake, always good to have you on board. And I want to start with this. 
Do you know this Wisconsin Badger team that you're going to see on the field Friday night against Illinois? Do you have a good sense of what they are, or are you just as kind of in the dark as everyone else? Oh, I feel like it's. I think I feel like I'm in the dark, like how you mentioned it. And by the way, it's good to be back with everybody here at Badger Blitz. Good being back with you because you and I have worked previously in the past. So always good uh, being back with you and with John. Uh, but. You know, it, it, with this team, I feel, you know, yeah, I do feel a little bit in the dark just as to see, you know, there are key pieces that need to be answered. Uh, answers are questions where Zach Bond, Chris Orr, you know, who's going to replace those linebacker spots for a duo that combined for 33 and a half tackles for loss and 24 sacks from the, in 2019. Uh, offensively is where the bigger questions are on the offensive line, uh, particularly, who's, you know, how Caden Lyles will look uh, replacing Tyler Biotish. Uh, at center, but then you also have, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor and Quintess Cephas, AJ Taylor for that matter, uh, and then you know, Hollow Graham Merck's look under center with Jack Cohen out indefinitely. Uh, so I feel that you know I feel like I'm uh, a bit in the dark, but I do feel just with returning starters on defense that you know, and and Doug Russell asked me this, you know, previously just. You know the identity of this team. You know I think it's going to be more defensive. So I feel like this team's going to be. I feel the strength is going to be the defense with the returners on the line and in the secondary. So I feel it's going to be. Yeah, it could rely on this team could rely on the defense more uh, this season, especially with the returners and and those strengths. Uh, you know that were mentioned previously. I want to circle back to the offense, but you hit on the defense, and I've I've thought a lot about this over the last several weeks about. The, the number of really good defenses that Wisconsin's had in like the past 10 years or so, um, you know, the 2012 team that didn't have the greatest record at 8-6 and six, but still won the Big Ten, went to the Rose Bowl, they had a great defense that year, and their offense was a mess. Um, over the last couple of years, Wisconsin's had some really good defenses. Number, was number one in the country in total defense a couple of years ago. Uh, last year, they were a phenomenal unit with the number of shouts they had early. I think that this group has the potential to be just as good, if not better, than any of those other groups. Uh, tell me that I'm wrong. I, I think with, uh, with with that unit, uh, you know, with with the defense in particular, it's. I think you could be right. I think the main questions are just going to be who's going to step up with that pressure uh, at the linebacker spots or at the defensive line. Uh, you know, could generate some pressure there. I do think you're on to something because of who's all returning. You know, you have a, basically five players on the defensive line that have played consistently over the past couple, yeah, at least the last, last year, for most more than two years. Uh, so you have those players there on the line that can not just eat up to, you know, blocks and, and gaps for linebackers to make plays, but I think someone like Keanu Benton has that uh, breakout potential where you saw those flashes last year, especially against someone like Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. I, you know, I think he could improve in that year even further. And that was his first year, and not having a spring to really dive into the playbook. You know, he came, you know, in, in the summer, uh, and so and he still broke through the, the two deep, uh, and then eventually started with Bryson Williams going out. Uh, you also uh, the experience at the end positions. Matt Hangson got back to the quarterback a bit. So did Isaiah Loudermilk. Garrett Rand, you know, so they all, you know, that's some great leadership there in terms of leading by example, like Jim Leonard called out earlier this week. Uh, the secondary, I think, is going to be really strong. I know Rondale Moore and Rashad Pateman 
Uh, both are coming back to Purdue and Minnesota, respectively. But I do like you know what you see you know, with essentially a three deep of players that have starting experience within the past couple of years, and that's led by, as Jim Leonard mentioned, uh, this this week, you know Caesar Williams, Rashad Wild Goose, and Sayon Hicks, uh, and that's you know that's cornerbacks, and then you have. Defensive band, the secondary with with three starting capable uh, safeties. So uh, you know, I, I think you're on it. I think the big thing is just figuring out who's going to replace those sacks. And Jack Sanborn could take a big leap forward, and I think Noah Burks will take a step forward too. He was consistent. Now I think it's just taking it to the next level in terms of creating a little bit more havoc, uh, you know, against uh, opposing quarterbacks in that backfield. But who's going to be next to them? Can Leo Chanel, who's a physical freak, uh, take that next step and, and you know be able to? generate, you know, pressure and also, um, you know, know his keys and become, still become more comfortable as a sophomore. And then next, you know, can Isaiah Green May, uh, who's athletic, can he break through uh, as well, along with uh, something like uh, Nick Herbig, a true freshman, who you, know, you and I both saw on the depth chart, Ben, earlier this week. He's listed as a first-team board designation. He's a co-starter with Isaiah Green May, and that's huge uh, in terms of a, a true freshman stepping into that role. So they can answer those questions about pressure. I think, really, you know, I think the defense could be along those lines of being another, you know, top 10, uh, you know, top 15 at the very least defense. See, one of the things that I missed the most about fall camp was getting a chance to kind of take a closer look at some players who have necessarily kind of been off the radar a little bit or just are emerging on the radar. And I think for me, uh, what I miss most about fall camp from a defensive perspective is not so much watching the rotation on the line or not so much watching the battle between uh, Caesar Williams and Fan Hicks and Richard Wild Goose and Samar Melvin and um, yeah, uh, who, I mean a number of guys that I, I can throw in there too. Dante Burton. Um, just the, the depth there is just insane that corner. It's what Scott Nelson was going to bring to the table. And you, you look at the safety spot, and Eric Burrell is one of the top returning defensive backs in the Big Ten this year, and I don't think he gets enough credit. And to pair him with a Scott Nelson, I thought would be very interesting. You know, Scotty won the job coming out of camp last year, but then didn't last the first game after tearing his ACL. You look at where he was two years ago, he missed time because of injury. So he's got kind of a checkered pass. I was kind of curious to see how healthy he was going to be. And the one good thing probably about this season being pushed back, it gave Scott Nelson more time to recover from that injury. Now he's a good year plus out from that ACL. This could be kind of like a sneaky free agent acquisition because you lose Reggie Pearson, who wasn't medically clear for this season. That could have been a big hole that now Scott Nelson and, to a degree, Colin Wilder are going to fill this year for Wisconsin. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think Pearson's absence will be. I think it would be felt on, on, on some levels in terms of just what he could do. And, you know, I remember talking to him last fall camp in, in you know, was August 2019 and just saying how he could work in the slot and, you know, working in the nickel position to have on matchups and also being back at safety, too. And he you know, has a hard physical presence, you know. he uh, And that's, you know, was kind of his M.O. From what you saw, he could close in and make big hits. Uh, but, you know, with back to Nelson, you know, he, I thought in that 2018 pinstripe bowl, you know, it was a really good performance. I know he, I think he had a tackle for loss in that one, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, it, I think, you know, how he, he's a little bit lankier uh, in terms of, you know, length. And, you know, he can, uh, I think he can roam around, you know, in a center field type role too. And, but, you know, I think it could be a big year for him. They'll need him, uh, despite even the, them having – 
playing, you know, they have experience back there, not just with Wilder and Burrell, but, you know, Madison Cohn started a couple of games at cornerback before he transitioned back, and he could be used in a slot, too, because uh, he, as he was last year. Uh, you know, John Torchio started against Northwestern, and, you know, Tyler Bates played against Michigan when both Burrell and Pearson went out within, you know, with uh, targeting penalties in, in the third quarter against the Wolverines. So, you know, it's, it's one thing where I, I feel that position is really strong, but with, with Nelson, you know, you, you know that I think he could have some big playmaking ability. Uh, you know, I think with, in terms of tackling ability, I think he'll be able to, to step up there. Uh, and then you have, you know, guys like Wilder who, you know, coming back, you know, a Houston transfer walking on initially, now what, that put on scholarship last year, you know, a big time, you know, I think he had that year underneath his belt in this defense. I think he's going to take a big step forward. And you mentioned Burrell. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of, I know some people maybe talk, you know, used to talk about his, you know, some missed tackles here and there. Maybe it was after, you know, during the 2018 season. But, you know, I think he's going to be a really big asset to this defense. And uh, he's going to, like, he stepped up with, with Nelson's in, injury uh, after uh, the South Florida game. I think he's going to step up and be a huge presence. And he's already a leader of this defense, uh, as Jim Leonard called out this week. No, you're absolutely right about Burrell. I mean, especially with the tackle. That's maybe the one area where he lacks uh, confidence to a degree. And I know that's kind of been something that he has worked on or he said he was going to work on kind of coming to the season. But you look at all the analytics. I mean, Pro Football Focus ranked him as the number eight returning player in the Big Ten um, and then 25th nationally. So, I mean, his two-year coverage grade by that site is among the ten best in the FBS. And so to have that kind of weapon on the back end is certainly going to be huge for them. But you're right, uh, according to Pro Football Focus too. Seventeen of he missed seventeen of seventy-one tackle attempts that led to some explosive plays. And you look at where this team is. The defense is going to have to kind of bring the noise here for this group, especially because there are so many question marks offensively. And you know, I'm sure we're probably touch on all of them here to a degree. But you look at the interior of the offensive line. You look at really no solid number one running back. You look at the lack of depth at wide receiver. You look at a brand new quarterback. Is there one position more than the other that I don't want to say scares you the most, but maybe has you the most concerned that that unit's not going to kind of carry its weight and then like a house of cards, everything's going to kind of collapse here a little bit for this team? I, I don't know if I have one in particular. I think the one question I had before we saw the reemergence of John Deaton honestly was at, you know, the offensive line. Uh, because when it can't, comes to replacing a three-year starter, a Remington Trophy Award winner in Tyler Biotish, you know, who anchored that line, and, you know, now obviously starting with, with the Dallas Cowboys, you have, a, you know, I, it's, a, it's a lot to fill. And not only that, but, you know, David Mormon, Jason Erdman, even though you had Caden Lyles and Josh Seltzner both start four games each last year during during the 2019 season, you saw Mormon and Urban kind of assert themselves down the stretch as being part of that interior line uh, with with Biotish, uh when you had Van Lannan and mostly Bruss, you know, on the outside there at tackles. So, um, uh, but now you, know, you have Lyles, you know Lyles has kind of asserted himself as a center according to the depth chart, and you have Seltzner. Uh, at left guard, and, and the return of John Beetson, who you know played 35 games with 32 starts, to me that was the big question mark: how that line would shape up, and how Joe Rudolph, with all the cross training that he does, 
what combination of five would be the best in his eyes to go up, you know, not just against Illinois, but the, the Michigans, you know, the Minnesotas coming up uh, down the street, you know, down the stretch in this, you know, eight, nine game schedule. So, it, you know, that to me, that's what stood out because, you know, even like maybe the second most were, I, I like what I've seen in the past with Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor, and they've popped out. They've had big play abilities. They've been able to gash defenses, not just in the receiving game, but really, I would say, you know, with Pryor, I feel like he's made a bigger impact in the run game. You saw more of that with Davis last season. I would still say, you know, like, yeah, but I like what I've seen out of them, and we've seen Davis as a freshman, you know, average 16 yards per carry. Uh, in that regard, you know, and make contested catches deep. So, you know, if there's a second one, uh, I would probably say just running back and seeing how you replace someone that ran for 6,000 yards, a two-time Dope Walker Award winner, someone that, you know, obviously last year 2,000 yards rushing, but also 26 receptions out of the backfield and scored 26 touchdowns. I think, you know, it's obviously not going to be just one person replacing all that production uh, for a Russian attack that gained over 3,200 yards in 2019. So, yeah, I think that's my next question where, you know, depending upon, you know, how the backs complement each other. Can you get a Nikia Watson, uh, you know, who Derek Grosch mentioned power and explosiveness. Uh, you know, what role will Groshek have? Will he be more of a, that stereotypical third down back that you've seen or him being in an 11 personnel in first and long, second and long situations. Uh, Isaac Rendo, he's still a big question mark where even though he got a carry and a reception in the Rose Bowl, uh, you know, what, how will he, with his speed and, you know, and, and be, you know, explosive and, and have big playability, uh, you know, for the offense as well. So I think, you know, probably the rushing attack is overall was kind of a bigger question for me is just how they're going to replace so many pieces that made it so dynamic last year. Is Graham Mertz an upgrade for this offense, or is he a downgrade for this offense? And you know, people are going to kind of scoff at that and say, well, Graham Mertz, I mean, look at his accolades. He's, of course he's going to be an upgrade, but you know, Jack Cohn was pretty darn good for this team last year. Um, completed 70% of his, about 70% of his passes, threw for over 2,700 yards, eight touchdowns to just five picks. He was a very steady influence. He's a team captain. Um What's your kind of take on what Graham Mertz is going to bring to the table here on Friday night? I mean, no one can deny Mertz's intangibles and what you know what he's done, and yeah, I mean, especially what like I mean, the qualities that he has. I mean, you know, seeing it in Graham, we only saw it. We didn't get to see any of it in spring because of the pandemic, and we didn't see anything in, in fall camp because of yeah, the pandemic this year. But you know, I still remember him watching him last year as a true freshman during spring and fall camps, and just. Noticing the accuracy of his passes, the arm strength of, of throwing a deep out, which you also see with Cone. But I'd say Mertz's arm is a little bit stronger there. I think he's got the ability to make plays. And even Joe Rudolph, you know, you and I were both on a call this past week uh, with, with Joe. And he talked about how he, you know, ran out, made a play with his field a little bit and got eight yards on, on one of the plays. So, there's a, you know, he's always going to be a pass for his quarterback. But, you know, he has the ability to kind of, you know, take off and, and keep defense is a little bit off, uh, honest, which you, you did see with Cone too uh, last year. So I, I think you have you know the, the physical abilities. There's something to be said about a player, you know, adjusting and becoming more comfortable with the offense. And I think it, you know, especially with all the moving parts, it's not just you know maybe last year where let's say Cone wasn't able to 
to start it against Iowa, then while well, you know maybe Mertz jumps in, but you still have Jonathan Taylor, you still have Quintus Cephas, you still have Tyler Biotish and the line. Uh, you know, there's some changing parts. So uh, you know, I think to be interesting to see how just you know not just Mertz, but the entire offense. Revolve, you know, get comfortable with each other uh, and playing someone else that's not themselves and not practicing. Uh, Cone, you know, he, you mentioned the stats. I mean, he really asserted himself last year. He's still a leader in this team despite being out indefinitely with that right foot injury. So, you know, you know I think if he was healthy, you know, I think, you know, you might, maybe you see a little steadier hand uh, in terms of just how he dictates the offense. You know, he's been in the offense. You know, for you know, longer than Graham. So uh, I think you know the experience possibly could pay off more if Cone was in there. Uh, you can't deny what Graham can bring to the offense, but it'll be really interesting to see just how long it takes him to acclimate. You know, does Paul run play action? You know, first first play of the game, and just let Graham air out all the nervousness in a long throw, just to see what happens, or you know, do they establish the run game, try to establish that a little bit further to get him you know going, or is it? Uh, possibly even I would you know think maybe you you know give them in a rhythm short passes work out a little bit just so he gets more comfortable. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch. But you have the, the physical ability of Mertz, but you, know, you can't deny what Cone's done uh, last season, and you know and also being a leader on this team as well. Again, we're talking to Jake Kosarowski, Badger Blitz senior writer, along with myself, getting you prepared for Wisconsin and Illinois. Friday night, Camp Randall Stamp. Camp's going to be a little weird. It's going to be empty. Um, it's going to be a night game. It's going to be a lot of juice, in theory, um, for a game of this magnitude, of Big Ten opener. But, again, in the times we live in, it's just nice that they're going to be hopefully playing football on Friday night. And, you know, this Illinois team, Jake, a lot, a lot of people are going to look at, oh, Badgers are favored by 19 and a half. This should be easy pickings. Uh, not so fast. I mean, this, this Illinois team is... Pretty good um, for just, and again, we don't know quite what Illinois is because we haven't seen them play. But we do know what we saw last year is that they have a good defense, very good defense that forces a lot of turnovers. They have a lot of players back in the secondary from that group. They have a returning quarterback who beat Wisconsin a year ago, and they have the ability for some chunk plays. They have some depth at wide receiver. They have some talent at tight end. And, oh, yeah, they have a really good offensive line, too. Uh, maybe one of the ve- most veteran offensive lines in the Big Ten. Kind of give me a snippet of what you've seen, uh, uh, seen kind of talking about Illinois here with some people that know the program. Yeah, I mean, you, you talked to, you know, uh, Doug Bouchon, who's the, you know, the publisher over at uh, Orange and Blue News, our, our rivals, cousins that cover Illinois. And, you know, it's a, you know, this is a team, and you can kind of hit everything on the head in terms of, just, you know, what these tackle, you know, what this, you know, the full returning starters on the offensive line. You have Peters coming back, uh, and, you know, for Illinois, a quarterback, the Michigan transfer, who, you know, last year had, eight, had just as many touchdown passes as Jack Cohn, just a few more interceptions, uh, despite having a, a lower completion percentage. Uh, you know, but at wide receiver, they have uh, two of the returning, um, two of, yeah, two of the returning receivers who, uh, you know, gashed Wisconsin a bit. And you mentioned that at tight end, Luke Ford is, uh, you know, the Georgia transfer, big-time name, uh, and, you know, could be a huge, you know, I don't, you know, I really haven't seen much, you know, from Wisconsin facing, like, a, as big of a dynamic tight end, tight end as, as Ford could be recently. So I'm, I'm interested to see how the secondary, where, 
this could be strength on strength when it comes to Wisconsin, Illinois, where the secondary that's experienced, the you know secondary that's counting their their abilities and, and another year uh, of experience going up against you know Illinois, who if y'all remember last year with their that offense gashed them for some big plays and that included through the through the air, where I think it was like Donnie Navarro the 48-yard touchdown reception, and he's returning. So this is going to be a, you know, that's going to be interesting to see. Um, gosh, you know, Jake Hansen, the linebacker for, for Illinois, he scored seven uh, fumbles a year ago, and, you know, he returned. I mean, you know, they have a returning secondary that's ripe with experience as well. So, you know, I think with Wisconsin, they're going to have to try to run the game, to run the ball, uh, and, and dominate that front seven of Illinois, to, you know, then, you know, obviously one, get merged comfortable, too, just, you know, do what Wisconsin does best. So it's going to be, I think, half points, you know, this year, with what's going on right now. Uh, and I don't, I, my prediction is I don't think they're going to cover. Uh, I do think Wisconsin's going to win, but I think it's going to be closer than what people think. And, you know, Illinois is trending upward in the right you know, where they want to be, where they were 6-7 last year, that included a bowl loss to Cal, but they're on, they're trending in the right direction. Yeah, they had the big win against Wisconsin. They had the big comeback win over Michigan State last year. Both those wins got them bowl eligible uh, in a bowl game for the first time in five years. Uh, and you mentioned Luke Four. I mean, 6'6", 250, according to the depth chart. And, you know, you look at Wisconsin's outside linebackers, three of the four outside linebackers in Wisconsin's two deep are 6'3", or smaller. And Isaiah Grimay, who's listed 6'6", is roughly 18 pounds lighter than Luke Ford, and I think one of the things that's held Green Bay back over the years is that he's kind of a string bean at that spot, too. So that's going to be interesting to see how Wisconsin is going to handle Ford, who right now is probably list, probably going to be the backup to start, but I would imagine you're going to see him a lot. This is a former four-star, five-star recruit that played at Georgia. This is, this is a really good prospect. And while that matchup maybe would scare me the most, Jake, uh, looking at Wisconsin, is how the outside linebacker, the new outside linebacker, is going to handle a big body like Ford. I think the position that, that scares me the most, surprisingly, is the special teams of Wisconsin. And you look at this group from where they were a year ago, um, they've taken a huge step back in terms of loss of personnel from a group that really wasn't all that spectacular a year ago. Um, the kicking game was sporadic last year, especially anything over 40 yards. Now Colin Larch is back for another year. You would hope that maybe that that's a boost there for him, that he's got some confidence under his belt. But, you know, you lose Zach Hens, who is their biggest kickoff weapon. They need to replace him. They're going to replace him with a freshman. Um, the punting game was really poor last year, especially in the Rose Bowl. There was mistakes that led to Wisconsin losing that game. Both the punters from a year ago are gone, so now you're going to have a punter who is transferred from Division Three Dubuque, who will probably punt. So no Division One. No punters who have punted in a Division One game. And, oh, yeah, kickoff return, you lose your biggest weapon in Aaron Crookshank, who transferred to Rutgers to play closer to home, and you have uh, Stephen Bracey and, and Chimery DK back there returning kicks. And those two guys are freshmen who have never played a college game before. So for a team that maybe is not going to have a big margin for error offensively, that maybe is going to need the defense and the punting unit and so on and so forth to kind of set them up for success and not put each other in bad spots, 
this is a huge unit that needs to deliver, and I, I just don't know enough about these people to get, you know, real excited about it. it that is a huge question mark, you know, because it became that way because, you know, first, I mean, remember P.J. Rizowski was doing pretty well with as a kickoff specialist and booming them out of the end zone, and, you know, but then he got injured, the next thing you know, we're all, what's going to happen with, with Hintz, and Hintz, Zach Hintz became a weapon for Wisconsin special teams on kickoffs, where, I don't, I forgot what the exact amount was, it was 69 out of the 89 kickoffs he had last year, if I'm not mistaken, were touchbacks, and that obviously pinned opposing offenses back and allowed that defense, you know, to, to start off in good position. Uh, now you have a true freshman from Nina and walk on Jack Van Dyke, who you know, has a strong leg. And I remember, if I'm mistaken, Colin, uh, Colin, uh, Connor Allen told me that um, last year, I thought. But it's one of those things where, uh, it was back in May, I think. But anyway, they, you have this team that, you know, the special, special teams that they, you're going to need answers quickly for punting, whether it's, you know, you mentioned Eddie Luzhinovich, who, yeah, our colleague Jack Patrikas, you know, I, I think one of the main quotes from that was Jack's punter, uh, where, you know, a 6'3 kid that, you know, we'll see what he does at the at, at this level now, and if it's an improvement from what we saw over, you know, Alan and Anthony Lottie last year, and uh, but even hints, it was this place kicking. He came on, you know, he was school record 62 yarder, uh, drilled back uh, before halftime against the Boilermakers at home in the second to last regular season game. You know, just, you know, his, his, the large locked it down for Wisconsin as, after he was 12 of 18 uh, in field goals. And, you know, will someone challenge him there or not? Uh, that's that's going to be a big question, too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a lot. You know, I think the kicking end, uh, you know, return-wise, you know, I heard a lot of praise about Stefan Bracey before this season. This is back in the spring. And I thought that Bracey, you know, I thought you know, even that low wide receiver position could be one of those to step up uh, with, with Cephas and A.J. Taylor gone. But, you know, really, too, you know, with the, he, I think he's got the speed to make things happen. So is Chimri DK. I think they both, both have track backgrounds. So that's going to be really interesting. And maybe the home constant, uh, besides Marsh and having some of those field goal opportunities last year, is got Jack Dunn back there at Putnam Turner. And he, granted, despite the five and a half yards for return in 2018, he came back and averaged, you know, over eight in 2019. So, you know, if he's going to be. The reliable one when it comes to special teams, but you know, will we see a little more dynamic abilities out of him? He had a forty was a forty two forty four yard return uh, on a punt last season. Will we see more of that? Uh, we'll who knows, and we'll, we'll see what's going to happen uh, starting on Friday night against Illinois. But uh, it, it, it really is going to be you, know, you need all three phases to win. I think it's going to be huge for all three phases to come through in this type of abbreviated you know season where. You know, we don't know, you know, you know, the pandemic and all and just how things change so quickly. You know, everyone's going to have to step up, and, and this is going to be huge for Chris Herring, Herring and his, you know, his group to, to really come through. All right, a couple more minutes here with uh, Jake Kosarowski. He's got to get all his notebook stuff ready for the game on Friday night. So a couple over-unders here for you, Jake, before I let you go. Uh, Wisconsin set to play nine games in nine weeks. Over-under seven and a half games that Wisconsin ends up playing this year. Um, I think with the testing in place, I'll be bold and I'll say 
maybe it's just because of Wisconsin and just what you know what I feel like the players are are trying their hardest to make sure that they, you know that they do play it. Um, I think I'll go over. I think it'll be eight at least. How many wins for Wisconsin this year in nine games? I'll go eight. Um, I think in the regular season there'll be some fault uh, falter. I just there's something that's going to happen. I mean, it's just it's hard to go eight zero in eight weeks, and there's no bye. So if there's going to be injuries or other things that uh, other circumstances that pop up, uh, I'll go I'll go eight though just based off of their schedule. Losing to who? Michigan seems like a likely choice just because it's a road game. Um, so I'll stay with that. But I mean, I think it'll be. I mean, with Minnesota getting Rashad Bateman back, I'm not sold on that defense right now with who they lost. But Minnesota will be tough, even though it's at home. And then Iowa at the end of the year is going to be very difficult. Um, just like kidding. I mean, I don't care if there's fans or not. It's just a road game and um, things happen in that stadium. Uh, but I think. I think right now I'll say Michigan. Does Wisconsin make the Big Ten championship game? Who do they play? If so, who do they play, and do they win that game? I say yes. They play Ohio State, and I think we know. Yeah, I think just with how Ohio State and who they have coming back, uh, that includes you know, if I'm not mistaken, Mike Davis at, at offensive line, Sean Wade at corner, uh, and then you have that you know Justin Fields at quarterback, and even having someone like you know a backfield of Master Teague who. Uh, I think he's on. I have to check on it, but I thought he was working his way back uh, to playing, you know, playing for him early. But then uh, Trace Terman, the Oklahoma transfer, uh, and Chris Olave, I mean, I could go on and on. Um, I think Ohio State, you know, it takes the takes the Big Ten championship. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you with with all of your projections. I think Wisconsin's going to kind of be like an eight and two team this year. I think that game at Michigan is going to kind of tell us a lot about what this unit's all about. I mean, the, this this schedule really for people that have kind of knocked it. There's got this is a challenging schedule for Wisconsin. You know, after this game here, you're going to Nebraska for your first road game. Purdue at home, I, I think that should be somewhat of a, a cakewalk for Wisconsin. Probably the easiest game that they're going to have all year. Then at Michigan. Um, though that game has proven to be tough for them over the course of the last several years in Michigan. At Northwestern, it's always a tricky place for them to play. Then you got Minnesota and Indiana at home in back-to-back weeks. And then closing at Iowa, too, um, is, is going to be kind of interesting. Kind of interesting to see where Iowa is going to be at that time of the year. So I, I 7-1, make the Big Ten, they'll lose to Ohio State, and then Assuming there's bowl games, I think they'll go to a bowl game somewhere and they'll probably win that. Um, who, who's your uh, preseason MVP on both sides of the ball? Like who's who's if you had to give like a, a pre a, a guy that's going to be the guy at the end of the year? Who, who's going to be your pick on both sides of the ball? Um, I would go for MVP. Let's go defense. I think it will be Sanborn. Uh, it's either Sanborn or Bruno. Uh, based off of their pedigree and what they can, you know, what they did last year, and I'll go Sanborn just because of what he'll have to do in terms of getting pressure. He already led the team in tackles last season with eighty, uh, along with have you know placing third on, on the unit with the tackles for loss. He had nine and he had five and a half sacks, and he tied up for the team lead in interceptions. So he showed even as a sophomore that he can produce. Now it's just a matter of uh, setting up his leadership, and I think he'll do that. Uh, Burrell's a very close second. Then, you know, offensively, I think, it's, you know, with the offensive line, I think Cole Van Lannon is definitely a, 
a name to watch, and I, you know, he can't even. He did not declare early because he wanted to put more film on for NFL scouts. I think he's got something to prove, and he's feeling healthy. So I feel that uh, Van Lannan is, is a candidate. You know, if, it, if it, Cone wasn't injured, I would say Cone uh, for that matter. Uh, Jake Ferguson's another name where I think he's going to be a key third down target and, and whatnot when it comes to. Uh, getting the ball, you know, in and out, getting now Mertz comfortable. Uh, I think he, he's reliable. I think he's become uh, more of a leader for that matter for this team. So right now, uh, between those two, I would say I'll say Van Lannan because I think he's going to help solidify that offensive line, the best five, and it, it, you know if, if they can get that ground game going. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be Jonathan Taylor levels of success like you've seen the past three years, but they can get the you know production, average you know five six yards of carry per game you know per game or you know get players like that above that. Um, I think it'll be due credit to what you know him and others in that offensive line do. So I'll go with Van Lannan. I think Eric Burrell is going to have a big season for Wisconsin. I think that his tackling is going to be uh, much improved than where he was a year ago. I think that surrounded by so many experiences players is going to allow Jim Laird to really have some fun with Burrell and line him up in different ways, um, uh, up and run support, up on blitzes. I think that he could have a monster season for this Wisconsin defense, which, as we've talked about, is stacked basically at every spot. Um, I think on offense, I, I think Danny Davis is going to be the linchpin for Wisconsin. Um, you know, Davis, everyone remembers that Orange Bowl that he had a couple years ago, and really he's kind of been a missing in action ever since. Uh, kind of, you know, two years ago he got lost in the quarterback shuffle. Last year, uh, Jack Cohn really had a good rapport with Quintez Cephas and Jake Ferguson that, you know, Kendrick Pryor, Danny Davis, and kind of the rest were kind of afterthoughts to a degree. I think Davis knows that he needs to be the guy for this team. I think with Mertz's ability to kind of stretch the field a little bit based on what we've seen in practices previously and then in the, the B-roll clips that UW has posted, um, there's confidence to go out on the field uh, with Danny Davis and, and Graham Mertz. So I'll be anxious to kind of see how that connection works because if that connection can pay off, that can open up the offense, that can give this three-man running back group of Garrett Groshek, Nikki Watson, and Isaac Garendo some room to work. So uh, I think Wisconsin's an interesting case here. I think you look at the Big Ten West, the Big Ten West uh, kind of stinks uh, as usual. Uh, Wisconsin's won five of the last Five of the first seven division titles. I don't see why they wouldn't do it this year. But uh, these first four weeks, I think, will be kind of the tone setters for them. If they can emerge 4-0 or even 3-1, and I think that that's going to really set them up well for success to get back to Indianapolis. So here's one for you. Over-under for Danny Davis' yards per catch. Because he averaged 16.1 as a freshman, and last year he was down to 8.3. What, what's, the, like, what's the mark that you feel that he needs to hit on yards for catch, if that's actually a, a mark that denotes success for him, what, what, how many yards for catch should, does he need to have for the offense to be successful this year? Uh, at least 10, at least 10 plus. I think his catch numbers will be higher than what they were as a freshman too. I would expect that because with him, he's kind of the dominant wide receiver prospect. Well, Kendrick Pryor has come more of a slot sneak, sneaky kind of guy. And I think that he'll be able to get some catches too kind of on 
on uh, post routes and 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 corner routes and kind of in the flat and different things like that. But I think Davis one on one he could be a, a big deep ball threat. Um, so I mean at least ten, and I, I don't see why he can't average you know fourteen, fifteen, sixteen somewhere in there. I think anything beyond that is is pie in the sky and would be you know huge for this team if they could get something like that but just steady um limit the drops too i mean that's kind of an issue with uh with prior and davis too in, in past years is their inability to kind of consistently catch the ball and i'm, I'm curious too to see what alvis witted the impact that he's going to make with this group and witted has developed some really good players both at the college level worked with some really solid players at the NFL level too. So how will Witted impact this group? Uh, I think you saw when Ted Gilmore came, there was an uptick with the group. Uh, usually whenever there's a new coach, you see an uptick with the group. And so I'm kind of anxious to see what Witted can do. And yeah, I think I think Davis is poised for a big year. Yeah, and I, you know, you hit on Witted real quick. And, you know, Gilmore for as great of a coach he was and a great recruiter uh, from what you saw with you know, how he was down in, you know, Texas and other places. Um, even find someone like an you know Isaiah Loudermilk. It's a you know with Witted too. You see just the the rapport that he had. You know you've seen you know from what we've talked you know with Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor and and Elvis uh, earlier you know this this month. You know I think it, I think people should be excited for the wide receivers. And you saw Witted's resume at Colorado State, where you know Dallas Cowboys Michael Gallup. You have Minnesota Vikings VC Johnson. You know Miami Dolphins with Preston Williams and. You know, previously with the Cleveland Browns, or I think he might be still be with them, but Richard, you know, Higgins, you know, and, the, and two of those guys were, two to three of them were All-American. And so you have that at, you know, Colorado State. I think, uh, you know, with, with just how Wisconsin's recruiting more and more, and, and from what, even, you know, what we're hearing from someone like uh, Chinway DK as a true freshman standing up, I think, you know, fans should be excited to, to see just what this receiver group can do. Uh, obviously, you need to prove it because hype can only go so far. But uh, I'm I'm really intrigued to see what uh, Willie can bring, you know, to, to the offense and, and whatnot too. Well, for the first time in 13 years or so, I've not seen one fall camp practice, so I'm kind of anxious for this opener to kind of get a sense of what this team is, who the real kind of under-the-radar players are. They're going to be big impact players. And just finally get the chance to see some football, finally. I've kind of been envious of my brethren in the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 that have been able to cover games here over the last month and a half. So it's going to be good to get back to work tomorrow night. I know you feel the same way, or I should say Friday night tonight when this is posted. So, Jake, we got a lot of work to do. It's good to talk to you again follow jake on twitter badgerblitz.com all the post game coverage is where you can find jake and my stuff and jk we'll we'll talk to you from the press box and we'll fans will hear you uh when we talk next week as we recap this one and prepare for the next one at nebraska sounds great man looking forward to it looking forward to the badger blitz family providing everybody wisconsin badgers news you know from the recruiting trail on the football field and of course on the basketball court coming up because that's even we're, we're a month away from basketball, too, Ben, and we're going to be busy as heck uh, along with early signing period, you know, two months from now. So this is going to be fun, and uh, hopefully you all sign up and become part of the Badger Blitz family and help out, you know, let us earn your business and, and see what we have for you. Thanks, Jake, and that is our podcast for this week. Big night tonight with Wisconsin football, so be sure to log on to BadgerBlitz.com before, during, and after the game. Follow me from the Camp Randall Press Box on Twitter at the Badger Nation. Follow Jake at Jake K-O-C-O and follow Badger Blitz at Badger underscore Blitz. 
We'll be back with you early next week to recap the game against Illinois and get you set for the week ahead here on the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. It's a season opener. Enjoy it, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.